listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Okay, so the scripture reading for today is Romans 10, 1-17 from the New Revised Standard Version. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of the faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified that, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is sick, and so is saved. The scripture says, "No one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in one of them? one of whom they have not never heard. And how are they to hear with someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed our message. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the word of Christ. Good morning, Brockport First Baptist. Pastor Dan here. I'm recording this sermon at home from quarantine. Uh, As most of you know by now, I came down super sick last weekend. Fever, body aches, vomiting, bunch of other fun gastrointestinal issues. Uh, I am feeling much better right now, thankfully. Uh, The COVID test came back negative, which we are grateful for. Uh, But the doctor still wants me to isolate for a week just to be on the safe side. And I definitely don't want to endanger any of you by bringing uh, any potential germs into church. But that means that I am here in my bedroom, completely locked off from the world, from friends, family, and pretty much everybody else. Um, I am bored out of my mind these past few days, so of course I'm going to pre-record a sermon for you all because I have literally nothing else to do right now. Uh, I am planning to be back with you in person for worship 
next Sunday. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you for your prayers. Please keep them coming. Uh, thank you to those of you who've offered help, especially to Erin. She's been going uh, pretty much solo with the kids for a week now. We really appreciate all the love and support. Before we get started with the sermon, let's pray. God, center us. Open our ears to hear the word that you would have for us this morning, Lord. And open our hearts to receive that word and put it into practice. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their ministry to me and my family. And God, we thank you for the ministry you have given us here in Brockport. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Romans chapter 10. By the way, shout out to Alicia Young for stepping in at the last minute last Sunday to read uh, the sermon I had written when I, uh, when I was home sick as a dog. I literally called her at about 6, 6.30 in the morning, actually texted her. She did an awesome job filling in, uh, so thank you to her. But we are now in a new chapter, Romans 10. And as often the case with Paul, our scripture reading for today is kind of this mixed bag where we've got some confusing stuff that's really hard to follow, along with some, some classic gems sprinkled in here and there. On the confusing front, um, we've got, uh, here's an example, verses 6 and 7. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. I have no idea what Paul is talking about there. I don't know if anyone really knows what Paul is talking about there. Uh, the quotes are from Deuteronomy 30. That's about as far as I got. Um, if you want to check the cross-references on that, uh, please feel free. And if you figure it out, let me know, because I'm kind of curious. Uh, that's some of the confusing stuff. But then on the greatest hit side, you've got things like verse 9. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Classic gospel verse right there. If you grew up in church, you've likely heard a preacher or two quote that line at some point. There's also this really famous section uh, that begins right in verse 14. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is another classic gospel text, a classic evangelistic text. I remember when I was in high school, I went to this uh, Christian youth conference, back when they used to have those sort of things. And there was a speaker who talked about evangelism, the importance of of sharing your faith. And he used this verse from Romans 10. I remember he actually like, he outlined it. He like broke it down as this five-step process for evangelism. We want people to call on Jesus and be saved, but first they have to believe. And before they can believe, they have to hear. They can't hear unless someone proclaims the gospel to them. And in order to proclaim, you have to be sent. So the idea was that this guy was sending us these thousands of Christian teenagers at this conference out into the world to be the proclaimers. 
with the hope of, I, I don't know, starting a revival or something that would save the world for Jesus. It didn't quite work out that way. I, I, I think I do remember wearing a what would Jesus do t-shirt to school and getting beat up, but, but hopefully you can see the connection there. Now that is all fine. That is a, a perfectly good, fine, adequate way to read this passage. We are sent to proclaim the good news of Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it. But the problem with that reading is it ignores the original context of what exactly Paul was talking about. It's totally okay to use a passage like this to talk about the gospel and spreading the gospel, sharing your faith. That is fine. But if we sidestep the original context, we're going to miss an aspect of this passage that I think is much more pressing for us. And that's who Paul is talking about here. Who are the they in this passage? In verse 14, when Paul writes, How are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? Who are the they? If we go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 10, the, the very beginning of this passage, when Paul writes, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Who's this they? We might assume Paul's talking about unbelievers, right? Like pe people without faith, people who don't go to church, aren't religious, people who are not already part of the household of God. That's how this passage often gets used and understood. But that's not who Paul is actually talking about here. The they in this passage are the religious insiders. People like us. Remember, we're working through this section of Romans right now, Romans 9 to 11, where Paul is having this existential crisis. He's wrestling with the fact that the bulk of his fellow believers, the bulk of his fellow Jews at the time, because again, this was all written before there was a distinction between Judaism and Christianity. That, that wasn't a thing yet. But when Paul's writing this letter, the bulk of God's people had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. The they in this passage, the, the people who need to hear so that they can believe, so that they can call on the name of the Lord and be saved, Paul's talking about the religious insiders, people like us. Or as one author that I really appreciate puts it, Jesus wants to save Christians. See, the way we often read this passage assumes that we are the insiders. We're the ones who are sent to proclaim the good news to an unbelieving world. And sometimes that's true. A lot of times that's true. But man, other times, surprisingly often it feels like lately, it can actually be God's people, Christians like us, who are the ones that miss the boat and need to be reminded what it looks like to follow Jesus. When I was in college, I was really into radio. I wanted to be the next Howard Stern. Now, I was 19 years old, so don't judge me. I've grown as a person since then. We all do dumb stuff in college, but I wanted to be a shock jock. That was like my my goal, my dream. I got a kick out of shocking people, uh, using low-brow, vulgar humor, being as offensive as possible on the radio. And there was this one time that I got into a lot of trouble for my radio show on the college station. I played some old skits that hadn't been approved, 
pretty offensive stuff, and I got in trouble. And I remember one of my professors, Dr. Barish, he was this, this old Jewish guy. He was my sound and lighting professor at the time, because again, I went to college for like TV and radio. But this guy was a mentor to me. He was one of my biggest supporters. He used to listen to my radio show every week and give me feedback. But this time, he really dropped the hammer on me. Um, he called me on the carpet. There were a lot of important things he said to me in that conversation, but, but one of the most important ones, I remember, he said, what would your rabbi think of this? And I was like, my rabbi? Dr. Barish, I'm, I'm not Jewish. And he was like, I know you're not Jewish, Dan, but you are a Christian, right? You follow Jesus, one of, one of my people? And I remember I was like, um, yes. I actually do, I guess. And my professor was like, what would Jesus think about that stunt you pulled on the radio? Was any of that honoring to him? Freaking floored me. And this did not come from like my pastor or a Sunday school teacher. No, it was my Jewish lighting professor. The guy probably didn't even go to synagogue regularly. I don't even know. And yet he called me on the carpet for failing to follow Rabbi Jesus. I think it's safe to say in that moment that God sent him to proclaim something to me. I heard what he had to say and it ended up fundamentally changing the way I believe. It led me to call on the name of Jesus in a whole new way. And I was already a Christian at the time. See, the key line in this passage, I think, is verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. That's the NRSV rendering. That's the translation we use at church. But I've been quarantined at home all week with nothing except for my, my bedside Bible, my old trusty CEB, Common English Bible. And I, I've been reading this a lot. I actually really like their rendering of this line. They don't submit to God's righteousness because they don't understand God's righteousness and try to establish their own righteousness. Remember that the they here are God's own people, the religious insiders, Jews back in Paul's day, but I would argue many Christians, including many of us today. Now let's talk about this word righteousness for a minute. They don't submit to God's righteousness, but instead they try to establish their own righteousness. We've talked about this word righteousness before in this series. Paul talks about righteousness a lot, especially in the opening few chapters of Romans, but it's been a while, uh, and righteousness is an idea. It's a, it's a word that has a lot of baggage, a lot of loaded, self-important religious stuff attached to it nowadays. I think we think about righteousness a lot in terms of self-righteousness as almost a bad thing, but and we've talked about this before, when we see that word righteousness in the Bible, it's more appropriate to think of it in terms of made rightness. When Paul talks about God's righteousness, he's talking about God's work of putting the world back together, making things right, establishing right relationship. 
The Greek word for righteousness is dikaiosune. Careful how you say that one. No cursing in church. <laughs> but that Greek word, dikaiosune, it's about right relationship. It's about balance. We often translate it righteousness in religious settings, but it also happens to be the Greek word for justice. Justice and righteousness are the exact same word in the Bible. See, in English, and as, as modern people, we like to compartmentalize everything. So we have one word, righteousness, that describes being in right relationship with God, and then another word, justice, that describes you know, right relationship between human beings or a society. We've split it into two separate things. But in Scripture, righteousness and justice are the same exact word. Biblically speaking, you cannot be in right relationship with God if you are not in right relationship with your neighbor. And if you don't have right relationship with God... Well, then, biblically speaking, you can never truly be in right, perfect relationship with anyone else. See, the Bible takes a much more holistic approach that connects faith and life. When Paul talks about God's righteousness, he's not referring to some abstract religious category. He's talking about God's plan, God's work to put the world back together. Now, again... Most Christians like to compartmentalize. And we generally get it when it comes to abstract stuff, the spiritual. We all, we're fine with righteousness when it's us and God. We understand that we, we can't save ourselves. No amount of good works or right belief or doing the right thing, none of that will make you right with God. Righteousness, right relationship with God, is a gift that comes through faith made possible by the grace that was shown for us through Christ. We get that when it comes to spiritual stuff. But then we tend to forget it when it comes to other aspects of our lives. We understand that we can't make ourselves right with God on our own. But then we somehow still think that we can make the world right on our own apart from God. We'll take God's righteousness, God's justice in church on Sunday mornings. Yeah, give me all that righteousness I can get. But man, the moment we walk out the doors of the church and into the world, we start depending on our own righteousness, our own sense of justice, our own ability to shape and control the world as we see fit. They don't submit to God's righteousness. Instead, they try to establish their own. Now, there are a lot of ways we could take this. There's a lot of ways we could get at this, talk about this. We could get super personal. We could talk about families, communities. But heck, it's election season. I know it's all on our mind. Let's talk politics. Why not? Because no matter what side of the aisle you happen to fall on, both sides, in our country at least, manifest this tendency to pursue our own righteousness, our own justice, apart from God. On the political right, <clears throat> this usually takes the form of a law and order message. Uphold the law. Establish order. If you just follow the law, you've got nothing to worry about, right? 
And so we shoot rubber bullets at peaceful protesters, including clergy. That happened in Rochester last weekend. We use smoke grenades and tear gas, chemical irritants that are banned from the battlefield by international law. We use that on our own people. Or maybe we just grab a gun and go to a protest under the guise of protecting a store from looters. Because law and order, right? And on the political left, this typically takes the form of like a sort of a grand vision for society. You know, if we could just enact the right policies, if we could just pass the right laws, uh, put in place the right reforms, if we could ditch capitalism maybe, or, or bring back unions, whatever, whatever it is, that's the key to making things as they're supposed to be. That will make things right. But of course, it never quite delivers. It never quite satisfies and works out as promised. Now, there's a lot we could critique with both of these approaches to justice. But for followers of Jesus, I think the single biggest issue should be that neither of those approaches is centered on Christ. Both the political right and the political left in our country are trying to establish justice. They're trying to pursue righteousness, make things right, uphold law and order apart from Christ. And you know, let's talk about the church side. And man, I really wish I was there with you today to have this discussion in person. We would have one heck of a sermon talk back today if I was healthy. But let's talk about this. Justice for Daniel Prude. Dikaiosune for Daniel Prude. For anyone who doesn't know, Daniel Prude was an African-American man from Chicago who was visiting family here in Rochester back in March. His family called 911 when he started experiencing some sort of mental health episode, possibly brought on by drugs. He had drugs in his system. And by the time the police showed up, he was naked, bleeding, and running down the street. Now, I watched the video. I watched the video about 10 times. If you haven't seen it, you need to. Because Daniel Prude complied with every command the officers gave him. They told him, get on the ground, he got on the ground. Arms behind your back, he put his arms behind his back. He was babbling nonsense, he was spitting, but he was complying. Then they put a spit hood over his head. It's a mesh hood that uh, police use when people are spitting or when there's some other issue and they want to protect themselves. It's been implicated in a number of deaths and asphyxiations, but... From what I understand, it's a pretty standard thing. They put a hood on his head. But of course, this man who was in the middle of a mental health crisis started panicking, and he tried to stand up. And then three officers pinned him to the ground, face down, for two minutes and 15 seconds. Until he stopped breathing. Daniel Prude went into a coma, and he died a week later, a death which was ruled homicide by asphyxiation. Justice for Daniel Prude should not be a radical statement. It's not an anti-police statement. It's not a pro-violence statement. Quite the opposite, in fact. When we, as a community of faith, 
come together to call for justice. Dikaiasune, for this man, we are acknowledging that we live in a broken, sinful world that is filled with broken, sinful systems. And those systems failed Daniel Prude. Our best attempts to maintain law and order, to make the world in our image of justice, failed Daniel Prude. But what if we embraced a Christ-centered approach to justice? What if we looked at this man who was bleeding and naked in the street and saw Christ? What if the officers who responded that night saw Christ in Daniel Prude? Maybe they would have thought to offer a naked man a blanket. Maybe they would have moved him to a heated car rather than making him lie face down naked on a cold Rochester street in March. Maybe instead of laughing at him and mocking him as they do in the video, they'd have had compassion on him. Maybe if they'd have seen Christ in Daniel Prude, he'd still be alive today. If Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old who shot and killed two protesters in Kenosha, if he'd have seen Christ and his enemies, maybe he would have thought twice before he took a gun to a protest. If Michael Reinel, the Antifa supporter, who shot and killed an alt-right supporter in Portland, saw Christ and his enemy, maybe they'd both be alive today. Friends, don't miss this. We've got to be centered on Christ in all things, in everything we do. There are no aspects of our life or our society that are off limits. When it comes to our faith and where we put our hope, the internal stuff, when it comes to our ideals, our ideologies, what we hope to do and achieve in the world, when we walk into the voting booth, when we think about how the world ought to be, Christ has to be at the center or it won't work. We cannot establish justice. We cannot establish righteousness on our own apart from Christ. Anyone who tells you otherwise is at best fooling themselves. Paul wrote Romans as a defense of God's righteousness. In an absolutely out-of-control time when the church was divided and Christians found themselves living in the midst of a global military superpower with multiple different allegiances, different visions of what the world should be, all competing for dominance and control, Paul wrote this letter to prove to these Christians in Rome that God is still in control. God is putting the world back together. Even when the world feels chaotic, even when there is violence and hate, misinformation and fear, God is still at work. You are witnessing the birth pangs of a new creation. But we are never going to get there on our own. The only way we're going to get there is by looking for where God is at work in our midst, looking for Christ in our midst, and showing up to help. That might look like being a good cop in the midst of an imperfect system. 
That might look like working for police reform here in the village. That might look like going to a protest and joining with clergy as they form a barrier between protesters and police. And it could be as simple as offering a blanket to a naked man who is bleeding in the street. Let's pray. God, we pray this every week, but it seems even more pressing right now that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, guard our hearts. Fix our eyes on Christ. Don't let us fall in the trap of pursuing our own righteousness, Lord, of trying to remake the world in our image of justice. But God, lead us in pursuing your righteousness, your justice, in every single facet of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.